This is CliffCentral.com. Unfortunately, it is like five o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Yeah, and I had to get you in traffic, which let me tell you, it's not big white. We do not have enough patrons to justify <laughs> that drive, just in terms of my mental sanity. So, I mean, talking about the Jews, apparently uh, the president talking about the Jews. Yeah, the president went to you people. Yes, he and, went to us people, and he said, uh, "Don't worry, we're not going to expropriate your land this time." Well, he didn't really say that. He's doing these rounds where he comes and he tells different groupings that um, even though what we say every day and all the time and what we actually legislate in Parliament is that we're going to expropriate land without compensation, even though we say that, uh, we vote with a a confirmed racist and anti-Semite in Parliament. Uh, We're very happy to be partnered with him. Um, You mustn't worry. That's that's his big word. You mustn't worry. Right. And uh, to the Jews specifically, even though we're going to tell the Israelis to bugger off from our country and we're probably going to pull our embassy out of Israel, uh, don't worry. Don't worry. We really do love Israel. Uh, We just love Palestine more. Um, And don't worry. Importantly, don't worry. And uh, any Jew who listens to that and doesn't hear echoes of the Polish rabbis telling the community, don't worry – the Nazis mean you no harm, is an absolute moron. Uh, so that's my opinion on that. Well, I mean, to be fair, the mm. ANC means harm on everyone, not just the Jews. So oh, please, sure. It's not just about you people. So uh, this victimhood culture must end now. Yeah, well, listen, we're the Canaries, so best best you be worried. I thought, that was, I thought those were the Indians. Uh, what? In Africa, it's the Indians, not the Jews. Really? In Europe, it's the Jews. Because there haven't been many Jews, but South Africa's got a decent-sized community. Anyway, let's talk about other minorities um, that the government likes to persecute. Well, which one? There's not a few. <laughs> well, we've got uh, Ernst in studio. It's uh, Ernst. Uh, I'm a white person, you know, I'm, and I'm, Afri- I'm not Afrikaans. I'll I'm never English. forget. It, I'll, I'm I'll never proper. For, I'll never forget Ernst going to a show yeah. somewhere, and someone... Moaning that people, white people can't pronounce black names. And what do you think, Ernst? (laughs) That's not my name. (laughs) Welcome, Ernst. Thank you very much. It's good to be back on the show. Uh, My second time. It's great to speak to you. It is just a good time. And and this is the most magnanimous uh, moment of your life. I mean, Parliament's, you know, it's just, it's a bit, you know, empty these days of devoid of any ideas and interesting things. So, I mean, this is your moment to shine, really. If you think about it In this very studio <laughs> Well thank you very much I, I agree with you <laughs> I, I think whatever I say Will be responded to With uh, with more factual accuracy Don't you me. dare call me a straw man <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, Can I tell you something funny About what happened after that hearing Because a lot of people said They watched the live stream And they saw there were people Walking up to me afterwards And they mm. asked me what they said and what happened was uh, there was a gentleman from the ANC who didn't say anything during the presentation. And he came up to me afterwards and he just stood in front of me. I was still sitting at the desk and he said to me, you're a racist. And I <clears throat> I said to him, why are you saying this? And then he said, he repeated, he said, you're a racist. And he pointed his finger in my face. And I said to him, please point out to me what is it that I said that was racist. And then he said, you called me a straw man. And then <laughs> I, 
I explained to him, no, I didn't call you a straw man. I said that you were committing a straw man argument. And he looked at me and he said, what's that? And I explained to him what a straw man argument is. And then he, he frowned a bit and then he said to me, so you're saying my argument is wrong? I said, yes, with due respect, I think so. And you think your argument is right? And I said, yes, I think so. And then he said, you see, that's racist. And he turned around and walked away. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, um, your tax money, everyone. That guy gets two million rand a year <laughs> to uh, to make those kinds of comments in Parliament. Money well spent. He needs a circus. Well, who needs a circus? Indeed, uh, we've had our our fair share, and it's not only the ANC. Because let's be honest, if you go to the zoo and a lion roars, you go, "Oh, it's a lion, and it roars." That's not strange at all. But the DA. Um, for some reason, decided to lose their minds uh, w- when you went to Parliament. I think should we set the scene first? Uh, yeah, I was just going to say that. Yes. I think we need to right. sort of explain what happened for those who haven't seen it. So, for, Adams, for the two people who don't know you, who are you, and what does Afri Forum do? Mm. Let's start there. <laughs> well, I'm um, Deputy CEO at Afri Forum. Which is, uh, if you read News 24, you would think it's an alt-right group. If you uh, read our founding documents and if you read our, anything we write and say, you will say that it's a civil rights organization uh, with a particular focus on the protection of minority rights. Um, and, of course, we are in many ways uh, built on what is known as classical liberal principles. So we stand for property rights and freedom of speech, property rights and freedom of speech and so forth. And um, – so, and as a result, obviously, we are very strongly against expropriation without compensation. And we've had this whole campaign against expropriation without compensation since the beginning of the year, um, during which we, among other things, went to the U.S. Uh, we spoke to a lot of people there, uh, had an interview with Tucker Carlson on Fox News. And um, thereafter, I think there were a lot of things that played a role. But uh, more recently, as we know, Donald Trump tweeted about the two things that we went to the U.S. to to campaign against, which is expropriation without compensation and farm murders. And um, I think many people immediately concluded that it was as a result of our campaign there, I think, which is maybe debatable. Um, and but, I mean, even, if, it, even if it is the result of your campaign, that's a fucking yeah. good campaign. Yeah, it's an, it's an, no, it's an act of treason. If you <laughs> <laughs> Depends on who you listen to. Anyway, so long story short, so uh, we've been involved with this camp, with this whole thing campaign against expropriation without compensation. We submitted a few hundred thousand written uh, uh, submissions to Parliament, and we've attended, I think, 32 of the 34 uh, public consultation meetings, uh, 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 spoke there as well. And this, well, in terms of where we are now, the last thing we did was to make oral presentations to Parliament. Right. So, and I mean, for the record, most of your members, you don't ask for race on the mm. membership forms, but one can presume many of them are, are, are Afrikaners, mm. um, and you represent your members' interests in whatever you do. I yes. mean, it's a very simple, it's a simple concept. Yes. And, uh, and we don't shy away from the fact that we do have a focus on the Afrikaner community, but it's not, Anyone can join the organization, but so we of, we sometimes refer to ourselves as an inclusive Afrikaner, uh, 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 inclusive Afrikaner organization. Right, right. You, I mean, you're mm. not BLF that says if any whites, you know, 
if you're white, you can't join us. Or Jacob Zuma's new party that says yeah. the same thing. Except yeah. they, they include Indians and not able to join them. So, I mean, yeah. you're not, you're not racist like that. Yeah. Um, you, just, <laughs> no. you just have Afrikaner interests. What are, if I may ask, Anderson, because I struggle with the term minority rights. I mm. only think they are individual rights mm. myself. What is it about Afrikaner so-called rights in, in quotation marks? Mm. That are under threat in this country Or that you think are under threat Yeah, well, so the question of minority rights Sounds simple, but the more you look into it The more complicated it gets And it's something that I'm personally very interested in I'm doing my PhD on that at the moment In theory, because I haven't done anything Since the beginning of this year For obvious reasons Um, But part of the, the thing with minority rights Is there's a notion, especially in South Africa And especially by the ANC that Afrikaners, as an example, and the Jewish community as well, are not really a minority group or they aren't deserving of particular minority rights protection because they are wealthier on average than the majority. Uh, but if you read the uh, documents and research by the United Nations, particularly the um, Human Rights Council and uh, the Special Rapporteur on Minority Rights, they would say that if history is any indication that it is precisely those minority groups who are on average wealthier than the majority who are the biggest targets, who are vilified and targeted um, most frequently and who are most deserving of some form of rights. And the 20th century is replete with examples of this. Yes. The Kulaks yeah. in, in Russia, the, the Jews in Germany, Tutsis in the Rwanda, Tutsis in Rwanda um, the middle the middle class mm. farmers in, in Maos, yeah. China, Armenians, the uh, Muslims in uh, Myanmar now, mm. the Yeah. yeah. So, so to make it practical, the question is how, do you, how then do you protect minority rights? And I think the biggest, the most important thing to do is to protect the rights of institutions. Um, in other words, if any community should be able to, for example, start a school and uh, make sure that have some degree of control over the language policy of that school, for example, without government intervention. Uh, so schools is one uh, one example, tertiary institutions, community institutions. Uh, and then, of course, there's the whole issue about government legislation that discriminates against minority communities, such as BEE and affirmative action, which are all ways in which discrimination against minorities uh, occur. Cool. So... For those of you who aren't aware, that gives you some idea of what Afri Forum is. And, and really, there's so much misinformation out there. Uh, I, I I don't think any other organization has really been demonized quite as much. Why call it misinformation when it's actually called fake news? Sure. Fake news, misinformation, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it, it's going on. I, today, even I saw there was an article written which uh, again repeated the lie that you guys have pushed white genocide as mm. an argument or as a campaign when mm. you've never said that as an organization. You've never mm. pushed that. You've very much pushed far murders. Mm. There is a difference between that and white genocide. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so, so there's a lot of misinformation about, about your organization. Um, but let's talk about this trip that went to the U.S. because that seems to me to be the time when – People sort of took notice and started worrying. I, I don't know if it was that we can keep our secrets in South Africa, you know, and, and, and no one will really notice. But these guys, if they go to America and they get a little bit of traction, this could be a problem. Some people seem to realize that um, the minute you got on the plane. 
Yeah. And I think you took a selfie or something with Kali and put it on Twitter. Yeah, at Heathrow, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, I was I, I, I forget which sort of um, you know guilt-ridden white um, had to respond to this, whether it was Max or whether it was Adrian or who it was. But one of them, Peter Bruce, one of them got uh, very upset about this, and 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 really there were rumblings of mm-hmm. look at these troublemakers going to the U.S. Now, mm-hmm. if you didn't have a point, uh, and if you had nothing valuable to say, well, I don't know why there would be any concern. Yeah. So obviously they know there's something. To let out of the bag, mm. so to speak. They should have been glad that, that if, if we went there to, for some campaign that's illegitimate, they should have been glad that we just went there to waste money that we should have, that we would have been yeah, able to use. Absolutely. If, if you've got nothing relevant to say and nothing of value with that's not uh, underpinned by any facts, mm. then they should laugh at you. They should point and laugh and go, look at these, look at these idiots <laughs> spending their money going all the way to the United States to do what? That, yeah. That's what I do for Sarah Ramaphosa's economic envoy. They're going around the world trying to get in investments for South Africa. The only problem is they're spending my money doing it. Fuckers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but they, they shouldn't have really been concerned. And then equally so, you, you ended up, I think you did quite a bit there. You've mentioned the Fox News appearance. Mm. I mean, this is the other thing I find funny because everyone goes, well, Fox News is a joke and Fox News um, mm. has no relevance and Fox News is, isn't, isn't really news and all those things. Well, if the, all those things are 100% correct, then mm. if someone goes on there, <laughs> It should be no That's different to someone going on Saturday yeah. Night Live. It's, 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 it, it shouldn't make a difference. Yeah. But you went there, you, you did uh, meet up with Tucker Carlson. There was an interview with that. Um, you managed to meet up with some state officials, I think, as well. Who, mm. What happened in that regard? Yeah. Um, uh, let me just a quick note before I answer sure. that. I think something that's important to mention is you spoke about the white genocide thing. And yes, we have never said that. Um, so people who accuse us of pushing a white genocide narrative have found a screenshot from Facebook that they say, ah, here's evidence you guys have been pushing white genocide. So maybe it's a good idea to, for those, the listeners who have seen that yep. just to give the context. So in 2013, um, someone in AfriForums' marketing department saw, saw this petition that some other organization was pushing. It was against farm murders. But the heading was Stop White Genocide. And so what happened was that petition was shared on AfriForums' Facebook page. And after seeing that, we took it down because we, we don't support the, the white genocide narrative. But So it was there for a short while. It was taken down, and but it was there long enough for someone to take a screenshot. And for that to be uh, published as evidence that AfriForum is claiming that there's white genocide, although we have repeatedly said that this is a problem, but it's not white genocide. And the fact that it's not genocide doesn't mean that it's not a problem. But to get to the, the question about um, why we went there, and, and maybe this links to the approach in Parliament um, as well, is our campaign against expropriation without compensation is, is based on a particular strategy. And it's ironically enough something we learned from the ANC. And that's in terms of how you approach Political negotiations in the broad sense of the word. So we're not a political party. I'm using it in the, in the broad sense. Um, and that is that, that the outcome of political negotiations is not determined by what is discussed around the negotiations table. That's the difference between commercial and political negotiations. The outcome is determined by what's happening outside of the boardroom. And the ANC likes to talk about the balance of forces and they should influence the balance of forces and they should be guided by the balance of forces. So we believe that we can have a much bigger impact if we influence the balance of forces against the ANC or against mm-hmm. expropriation without compensation. In other words, to do stuff 
well, in and outside South Africa, outside of Parliament, um, and inside of inside Parliament, but with reference to what's happening outside or what people think and say outside, that would pile up the pressure on the ANC not to continue. And of course, we've done a lot of things in that regard. Um, we made we, we met John Bolton when we we were in the U.S. and we made no secret. We never tried to portray it as you know we had this meeting with him. We met him by chance, um, and we had like a one minute discussion with him. And for those who don't know, John Bolton is I think National Security Advisor in the U.S. Yeah, he reports directly to Donald Trump. We saw him. We went went up to him. We met him. Uh, gave him a copy of my book. Um, had like a one minute discussion and then said goodbye. And that picture, of course, <laughs> created havoc in South Africa with, uh, who was it, Adam Abib, Abib from Wits University claiming that this is evidence that we are Idi Amin and Adolf Hitler and, you know, all sorts of things. But the point is in doing this, we have, I believe, we have succeeded to a very large degree to pile up international pressure on the ANC. And um, I've spoken with a political commentator recently who wouldn't want me to disclose his name who said to me that he must be honest with me. He he doesn't like Afriforum very much, but he has come to the conclusion that Afriforum has become the biggest um, role player against expropriation without compensation. And it's hard for him to say that because he doesn't agree with our approach, but we have more to show in terms of getting the ANC on the back foot and starting to backpedal on this policy. And that's particularly because of the approach that we've been, we've been taking. What, what do you make of people who say, Okay, fine. Yes, you can take that approach. Um, the IRR, France, has a similar view. You have to change the general view of society to change what government does and how they behave. But they'll say, yeah, but you didn't need to go to the U.S. because what you ultimately did in the U.S. was uh, you somehow got this on Donald Trump's desk. Or in his line of sight. It was probably because Tucker Carlson started covering it mm. and he does watch a lot of Fox News. Mm. Um, but bottom line is you caused investors to mm. suddenly be scared. And actually what you've done is you've damaged South Africa. Mm. And, uh, so you, you, th- that's why it's wrong. Yeah. So, uh, I recently had an, I got a phone call from Chris Barron from the Sunday Times. For they have this Q and A section where it's like this short Q and A in the in the paper, and we had it like a twenty minute conversation. And of course, he didn't publish everything that we discussed, but it was very confrontational his style, which I appreciate. And he started taking this line very much, saying, "Well, you should basically arguing that we should be blamed for investor uncertainty and so forth." And I said to him at one moment, "Just stop and listen to yourself for a moment." and Explain to me how you are now, in this argument at least, different from ZANU-PF, who are blaming America for the for the economic situation in Zimbabwe. It's not the West's fault that 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 there's pressure on Zimbabwe or that there are sanctions of some sort. It's the it's the fault of the policies that are being implemented. So you mustn't shoot the messenger if the consequence is is dire, because the consequences would have been dire nonetheless. Um, and we do believe that. If there are negative consequences as a result of us campaigning abroad, it would still not be as severe as the consequences if the ANC just get their way and do what they intend to do. And and there's an inherent contradiction in in the views of those people that dislike you. On one hand, you are this irrelevant alt-right lobby group based on white supremacy. Mm. On the other hand, you severely damage the economy. Like, which one is it? You can't you can't be like the Ku Klux Klan. And yeah. have this much influence. Yeah. Like, 
Do you think there's maybe a problem with the way you convey messages? Perhaps to have this sort of reaction against you. Mm. I personally like the way you do it. I mean, mm. I think uh, you, we're very much similar. We like these are the details, these are the facts, and mm. fuck you, whatever. We don't really care much. But why attack you more than anyone? Really, mm. I mean, and and comp- you, what you say compared to some of the idiocy I see from other organisations. I mean, you are the most. Practically minded, rational person mm. uh, from a major organization. So why are you, Anis? Why are people attacking you so much? Is it is well, it your fault? Do you think? I think. Well, we've been talking about that a lot to to try to answer in all you know in all seriousness. Is is there a problem with the way in which we convey the message? Um, the uh, which year was it? Nineteen seventy four, I think. Ronald Reagan gave a speech for Barry Goldwater, the famous "Time for Choosing" speech. Um, it was it was very much against appeasement, which of course is very relevant to South Africa at the moment. But he made a point there about how he thinks the Cold War should be approached, and that we shouldn't try to appease the the Soviets. and And he said, um, admittedly, there's a risk in any course we take. Um, it was sort of a, a note on the sideline, a comment he made. But I think it's the same with us. I mean, it would be naive of me or every forum to say that we have decided this is the strategy that we want to take. And we are right, and there are no risks involved. Uh, we are absolutely 100% correct because there are some criticisms towards what we are doing that I think are valid because it's it's the, it's the consequence of our strategy. The irony is that those those criticisms aren't pointed out by our critics. <laughs> so the 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 stuff that they point out is stuff that aren't real. Uh, or stuff that we've never said and they say, oh, well, you, like recently I was on Power FM and the guy just said, oh, well, you're a racist because you keep justifying apartheid. And I asked him for evidence and I don't know if you listened to that clip. So Unfortunately, I did. I lost brain cells. <laughs> we did. Yeah. My IQ is half now. So just maybe that point, just for the listeners who don't know, basically what happened in that discussion, and that was just a few days ago, is the guy said to me, um, Taba Mdluli, Tabu Mdluli, he said to me that we must acknowledge that of course, I'm paraphrasing just to shorten it a bit. But he said we must acknowledge that we're complaining now, but if they change the constitution, then expropriation without compensation would be legal, and then we don't have anything to complain about. And then I said to him, well, if that's your line of reasoning, then you shouldn't say you shouldn't have a problem with apartheid because it was legal as well. And then he freaked out about that, and he kept saying, why are you justifying apartheid? I said to him, I'm not justifying apartheid. He, he justified apartheid, yeah. actually. <laughs> yeah, actually he did, yeah. if you listen to what he said. So I said to him, it, it, and I said it's like Nazism as well. There was a democratic process which le- led to this, and it was executed according to the laws of the time. And then he, he's, I don't know if he was just ignorant or deliberate, but he somehow couldn't grasp that saying something happened according to the laws of that time does not mean that you believe that it was a good thing. Just. Yes. Legality doesn't mean justice. Yes. That's a very simple thing. Slavery was legal. Exactly. It doesn't make it just. Yeah. It's a very simple thing. So if he, uh, so I'm, I'm wondering, that I should have asked him that. So what's your, do you think slavery was legal or not? Then I don't know you, what he would have said because obviously it was legal. It was, it happened according to the law. I think of when the time. you point out to, you, you know, and especially in live environments, uh, like on radio, when you, when you, people have cognitive dissonance and then you point out the cognitive, because most of the time it's, it's, mm. they don't realize that they have, they have these two conflicting thoughts. Mm. And then when you point out those two conflicting thoughts and they have to meet each other yeah. in a live forum, 
um, most people don't know how to deal with that. Mm. And the way to deal with that is to say, well, I've never thought of it that way before. And mm. uh, if you really want to save yourself, I'm going to go off and think about that some yeah. more. Thanks Let for that. Get back to you. Um, sure. Um, or, or if you're really brave, admit that you were probably wrong on that point. And that hardly ever happens in, in modern discourse. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, that's what I think happened. I think he was presented with, with, uh, you know, points that, that just didn't line up and he didn't know how to deal with that. And unfortunately, South Africa, the word racist is the get out of jail free card mm. because once you call someone a racist, well, it's very difficult to defend um, because what do you say? I'm not a racist. Oh, God. Then you've got to go down the road of proving you're not a racist. You're not allowed to prove you're not a racist because if you say things like I have – Black, black friends, friends. Yeah. Um, then that's that's become <laughs> that's a that's a meme, right? So you're yeah. not allowed to say that, that even makes, though that makes you more racist. That makes somehow. you more racist somehow. And if you point out things that you've done that mm. clearly, you know, you couldn't be racist. It's like it's like you know, Donald Trump is the is the sort of now top example of this. You know, mm. Donald Trump's a racist, but he signs a bill the other day to make give more money to Martin Luther King's like memorial or something like that. And he 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 he, he keeps doing stuff for black causes and he, he hires he, he pardoned, people in his administration he pardoned that are African American. It's Jack just Johnson. you cannot once unfortunately we're in, in such an environment that I think once the word gets thrown, mm. it's like the con it's a conversation ender. It doesn't yeah. matter whether it's true, whether it's not true. And what ends up ends up happening is It'll just divide the group. So the people who listen mm. to that probably are going, if they agree with you or, or, or see your, your perspective, they're going, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, he's not a racist. He just yeah. like, and the other guy, if they agree with him, they're going, oh, that other guy's a racist because then, you know, <laughs> I win. Um, yeah. But sorry, can I give an yeah, example sure. of that? Um, and that's where, uh, to get back to Ramon's question, is we do find that I think there are very good journalists in South Africa. Um, and I've said that many times, I think the majority are, unfortunately, those who, Tend to be the most corrupt. Tend to be the most. They tend to be the editors. Yeah. Um, but so here's an example. In I can't even remember the year. 2012, somewhere around there, we had this court case when the Chinese Metro changed uh, 27 of the street names in Pretoria, um, Linwood, and oh, there was a whole list: Church Street and so forth. And um, they, we took them to court not because. Of the content of the decision, but because they didn't follow the process. And one of the things that happened was during that process, we had to file an urgent, uh, we had to approach the court for an urgent interdict. It's a type of case where you sit through the night and you draft legal papers and you run to the court the next morning and morning. And, and one of the things that was argued by our advocate was that the, the Chwani Metro had, Metro had argued that these names have to be changed to correct historical injustices. In our, in our response to that, we said most of these names have nothing to do with historical injustices. Um, it's not based, it's not apartheid names like Church Street. Yeah, for example. Church Street, yeah. Yeah, and then he said, uh, he made a comment about the fact that there's, there's a gap, a dissonance between why they say these names have to be changed and what actually happened. And then he, he said, for example, that, um, he refer, he used the terms so-called injustice. In other words, the argument is that we need to correct a, an injustice, but there wasn't an injustice with regard to this particular street. And that was then picked up, and we are now regularly re referred to as the organization that described apartheid as a so-called injustice, uh, despite the fact that we've repeatedly said that it was an injustice. So that's the type of – it's it's largely a result of just poor journalism, uh, which is very unfortunate, the situation where we are in. Well, well, poor journalism in the sense that how we – Suspect journalism must be 
we suspect journalism must be objective reporting on the facts. Mm. But it's good journalism in terms of being anti 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 yeah. forum. It's good activism. Uh, there we go. That's that's a yeah. better word. Yeah. That's a better word. So, I mean, my question. I mean, I don't know if you answered this correctly. With, mm. with due respect. Do you think you can change anything that will make your message more viable for journalists? But most importantly, actually, do you actually give a shit <laughs> about what News yeah. 24 says about you? Like, honestly speaking. No, we do. I mean, it's not, it's not a good feeling when you open the newspaper or you, and you read some, something horrible that you allegedly said. But the irony is, let's take News 24 as an example. They wrote this hit piece after I went to parliament and they said a bunch of stuff that isn't true. They said, so who I, I can't remember who wrote it. I think Peter de Toy. The white MPs were very cross with you. Yes, Adam. Yes. See, they didn't mention the black ones because yes. of course they would be cross. They're black. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, race, the racism is so is is they're so blind to their own racism. Yeah. It makes me so. So he cringe. said a few things. He said that I had disdain-filled eyes sitting there, which I think is I didn't have any disdain sitting there. I was slightly amused. Also. Um, I mean, I've never heard of that particular description for someone's eyes. You know, rage-filled perhaps, yeah, this, <laughs> but disdain-filled is kind of like English. Yeah. And, and then the other thing he said was, was, he said that I was sitting there laughing while MPs spoke about how their families have been discriminated against, which I have never done and I would never do. And I've made a deliberate point not ever to smile even. When someone tells me about how they've experienced some atrocity, I deliberately did not do that. Yeah. I started laughing when, when the EFF lady um, said, you're not my brother. And then the, the chairperson said, no, no, he is your brother. And she said, no, you're my brother from another mother. And then I started laughing. <laughs> and, and what a discussion yeah. in Parliament. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the extent to which I am a brother of an EFF MP. And then the other thing he said was that I – Offered no solutions, and then he said, not a single one. Well, anyone who saw the clip saw. Yeah, yeah hold on. We'll get there. We'll get to what yeah, happened no, in Parliament. Yeah, we'll, okay. get to, we'll get to Parliament <laughs> particularly. But, I mean, at this stage, I think, personally speaking, the more they attack you, the better it is. That's, it's coming I mean, that's, to that's that what's point. happening, yes. We, it's not, uh, that's the point I wanted to make is as a result of that article, there were many people calling us saying, well, I read mm. that and it's hogwash and I want to support yeah. you. Yeah, so that's just a point I want to make because we have the same thing is it's not about – the more you get attacked, the better it is for you. It's the more you get attacked dishonestly, yes. the better it is for you. Yeah. We, we see that on the podcast as well. Um, you, you know, we, we get called all types of things and we get told about the discussions we have or had. Uh, and then we say to people, okay, but that's not true. We're like, listen to the discussion. And then what ends up happening is that person, fine, isn't going to listen or, or doesn't want to be swayed. But other people go, okay, I see this back and forth. Let me go check it out. They go check it out and they go, that was nonsense. Mm. And so that's the thing. I think if you were honestly attacked, I think the media might have, a, a, you know, a better mm. footing. I mean, they could really damage you if, if, if you had some flaws and they accurately portrayed those flaws. Yeah. Like that's what I don't understand either. Or, yes. Well, well I, I think we have some flaws because we don't, I mean, we're not perfect. Um, I have never felt that any interview or any debate I've done watching it afterwards, I've never felt that it was perfect. I could always think of things I should have said better. Like someone could have said, uh, for example, now speaking in Parliament, watching the clip again, I noticed that I stuttered quite a few times over my words. So maybe I should have spent more time reading my speech beforehand. Um, so, I mean, so you can talk – that's maybe a f simple example. But you, uh, we get a lot of people would say – 
well, you said this, but you never made this point. And sometimes it's a good point or you didn't respond to this properly because you should have rather pointed this out. And it's valid. Um, and we can talk about the consequences of the strategy. People could say, well, uh, ANC and EFF MPs were more angry with every forum when I walked out of parliament than when I walked in. And that's true, and that's valid criticism, but unfortunately, that's the negative spin-off of our strategy. I don't want them to be mad at us. But you can't control what they feel. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. If, if my strategy was to appease them, then I don't think if, – if they supported what I said, and that if I said whatever words was necessary for them to say, well, well done, and to shake hands and say thank you very much, mm. they would have said what Adolf Hitler said after meeting Neville Chamberlain, uh, saying, well, I met these people – after the Munich Agreement, I met them and they are weak, so we can continue with what we are doing. Right, you're not you're not saying the MPs are Nazis. No, I'm so not saying the, that they are Nazis. Yeah. It's just an it's, example. It's the Agri SA approach, the appeasement Ooh, approach. No. Um, okay, we're going to get I sued, Jonathan. You're going to get sued. They can see your ass, not mine. I think they've appeased the the argument. And I mean, there are appeasers, but we're not saying that they like Nazi Jews. No, man, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> it's not at all what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying that they've chosen chosen the appeasement route. Yeah. You guys have not chosen the appeasement route. You've, you're going to take it on. All right. So you come back from the states. Um, it, as you said, a lot of people made a bigger deal of that than. Mm. Than it actually was in some respects. I mm. suppose, you know, you did good work. I'm not taking that away from you, mm. but for example, the John Bolton meeting was by chance, as you mm. say, spoke to him for a minute of his day. Mm. He had tons of other stuff going on at the time. I think mm. there was some North Korean stuff happening around the that Iran time. deal. The Iran deal was, was being that was happening pulled on the out yeah. of. So I, I can't imagine that that discussion you had with him was, uh, you know, hallmark in his life. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And anyway, you come back and obviously things are carrying on as they do in South Africa and nothing happens for quite some time. I don't know if, if you got any feedback or anything yeah, like well, that. Well, we've been very engaged with the public consultation meetings. Yeah, so you, you went to all these meetings. T yeah. Tell us a little bit about those meetings because I actually <laughs> – there was a WhatsApp clip that got passed around, which was obviously – I mean, you can do anything with editing, but mm. it was quite a funny clip in which there were a number of EFF um, – oh, yeah. Uh, supporters who sort of stood up and said the most incoherent things about mm. uh, either why land expropriation must happen or why, you know, it was just kind of them like they do on Twitter. Give us the land. Give us yeah. the land. Yeah. So um, that was quite funny. But 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 what was um, what was your experience of these? Well, there's a lot of things that could be said. Hearings. One is there was a very clear attempt to manipulate the outcome of those meetings by the chairperson. At one, at least one or two meetings, Julius Malema was the one pointing out who should be allowed to speak. So he was pointing to the people who, who the microphone should be given to. Um, I went to the first one in Springbok, uh, in the Northern Cape, um, where very interesting and important thing to point out. There is a big colored community there who live on state owned land and who are furious about the fact that they do not get title deeds. And they are at the point, they have been rioting about this. And they, they, they kept saying, well, if you are serious about land reform, why don't you want to give us title deeds? And it was sort of just shrugged away. Um, and at the Pretoria one, it was even worse where, well, the first thing is the EFF succeeded in hijacking those, um, meetings. The ANC was almost nowhere. The political parties were nowhere. The, the two main role players there was the EFF and AFRI Forum. Um, the EFF had bigger numbers. They bust people in. Um, Afri, and also the meetings were happening in, during working hours. So AFRI Forum sent representatives to the meetings. So at the Pretoria one, for example, before the meeting started, 
Um, I don't know if they recognized me or not, but there was a, a whole group of EFF supporters, maybe 20 of them, wearing EFF cap berets and T-shirts, who encircled me at one stage as I was sitting on my chair. They literally formed a circle around me, and they started singing, kill the boer, kill the farmer. And they were pointing at me and laughing at me. This at the full view of the panel, the parliamentary committee sitting on the on the uh, stage. Um, so that's one thing. Um, and then during the meetings, what was, I think, the most horrible thing about those meetings was how – Black people who spoke against expropriation without compensation were intimidated and uh, I saw one who was thrown with a water bottle and they would swear at them and call them sellouts and, you know, all that, those uh, swear words. And I think that was the most atrocious thing. So so the public consultation meetings was a farce. Uh, you, you need to look at other things to determine how people feel about expropriation. Mm. Well, I think we know they're a farce because even before they were finished – the president David hurriedly went onto television yeah. to tell everyone that they've decided to go mm. ahead. Uh, yes. And another way, another reason, there are many reasons why it was a farce. One was, so the chairperson, uh, Vincent Smith, introduced the meetings or started the meetings by saying to, to people, well, the reason why you are here is because we have decided that we are going to do expropriation without compensation. Section 25 of the Constitution says the following. Then he reads Section 25 of the Constitution. Then he says... You are here to say to us if the Constitution allows for expropriation without compensation or should we change the Constitution to make this possible? So he was asking a bunch of people who most of which weren't lawyers, knew nothing about the law, to interpret the Constitution with the aim of telling him which road should they take to expropriate without compensation. And as we know, that's not the point of the meetings, but that's how the meetings were introduced. Yeah. Yeah, well, public participation has always been a farce um, because, yeah. uh, well, first of all, they were hijacked. I agree with you completely. And let's go to the parliamentary hearings now because yours was the most publicized uh, hearing as far as I understand, but many other people had hearings too. Uh, IR had some, um, the, Af- the Bruderbond, I can't remember, Afrikaner Bond, that one, yeah. not the Bruderbond. Oh, my that's, God. That's, <laughs> now, you're, now you're getting sued. I, <laughs> I get confused. Now they actually the changed their name. It used to be the Brother uh, and see, then they changed their name to Afrikaner. There we go. Afrikaner yeah. Bond. A lot of people did it. Yeah. So Sakalicha, I, Sakalicha yeah. did it. So um, IRR went there. Um, they had a, a Brassi, a senior Martin counsel, Brassi. Martin Brassi. His argument was purely about property rights and the importance thereof. Great submission. They treated him exactly the same way they treated you. Mm. Exactly the same mm. way. They said, we don't care. Our hearts are hardened. Uh, this is worthless. Um, basically, they just treated him as bad as they treated you. So the parliamentary hearings are a farce as well. Yeah. Well, certainly. Um, the, the way – there's a lot that could be said about our, our hearing and how it uh, turned out. But, I mean, the fact that you are being threatened with a civil war – by not one MP, but by two from two different parties, immediately after you say, I disagree with what you are doing. That in itself already says to us that, that their hearts have been hardened since, be- since before this process started. They have not decided, the, the, the purpose of these meetings, of these meetings aren't to, it's not to, to ask, to, to get people to convince them, should they do this or should they not? It's a window dressing process. That's all it is. Yeah. Look, look, guys, we've, we've had a government who has had basically absolute power. For um, 24 years And I think anyone who believes That the government cares What 
the sort of public in terms of the approach to parliament has to say. I've never felt these things are, are valid mm. because in a coalition, I would feel they were valid because then you'd have a whole bunch of parties coming up. Potentially, they want to hear different ideas. Um, certainly in a coalition, they want to see who they can appeal to within voting groups mm. and blocks. And then you've got a chance of actually influencing it. But the ANC does it because it says in the law that you have to go through a public consultation process. And if you don't, it can be challenged in a court and then overturned. Mm. And so they do it as a, as a matter of, of, of kind of need rather than because they want to or they have any great interest. So I can imagine what what I find interesting is that instead of just ignoring you and saying, well, let him talk. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, it, it, we're going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I do find it interesting that the, 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 the level of anger, um, were you surprised by that? No. <laughs> okay. The, the worst thing that could have happened would have been if I spoke and the chairperson said, are there any questions? And then they would say, no, we don't have any questions. Thank you very much. You can go. Wor- worst thing for AfriForum. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's the worst thing that they could have done to, for, to AfriForum. In a sense, we, we expected that. So maybe just in terms of, of the strategy, um, we, we deliberately decided on a particular approach going to parliament. And the most important thing about our approach, and I'm not saying, again, that's the point I made earlier, that it's not a perfect strategy, although I think it's the best strategy. There, there were other ways we could have approached it, which would have had, in my view, more uh, ways of criticizing it. Uh, what we decided beforehand is deliberately not to engage on the debate or with the debate on the table as it is being set to us. Because the table is being set on certain premises, such as white people are criminals, white people stole the land, um, this is going to be good for the economy. Uh, this is something that has to be done in the interest of nation building and, and so forth. And we have certain underlying problems with that. So some of the criticism is, yes, well, you didn't really spend any time discussing, discussing, discussing section 25 of the constitution, which is true. I, I didn't mention it at all. Uh, but there was a reason for doing that because we believe that, that the, the framework of the debate should be challenged instead of engaging and legitimizing the framework that has been set to us. And we expected that they would be angry. And, um, of course, I think they, I did not ex- expect that at least two MPs would threaten with civil war. Um, but in a sense, what they have done, and I've received a lot of messages from abroad as well, people saying they watch the clip, influential people in, in Washington and other places as well, who have said that they, they saw the clip, they thought the presentation was very good, it was factual. They thought the responses by parliament was horrendous, and they are going to forward this to other people abroad, to influential people, uh, to lawmakers and so forth, and journalists, to point out to them how crazy politics has become in South Africa, and particularly in parliament. So in that sense, I think I think we succeeded in what we wanted to achieve. So let's talk about what you actually said in your in your speech. Uh, so in your speech, you 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 actually, to me, you exposed what this is about. Mm. It's not about land. It's yeah. not about helping the poor. All of this is consolidation of power within the ANC uh, through the NDR. Mm. Can you explain? We spoke about the NDR a little bit, but if, if you have to have a short synopsis of what the NDR is and yeah. what the goal of it is linked to EWC. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the most important point, and that's why why we say that the Structure as it is put to us should be challenged or the framework. So the national, what I said in, in my presentation about the national democratic revolution is all 
taken from ANC strategy and tactics documents. And that is that the ANC believes that there must be a national democratic revolution in South Africa. And the goal of the, the revolution is to take South Africa down the path of socialism, eventually to create a communist utopia. And the way in which this should be done, there was a, f- a first transition in the 90s, which was that the organization should present themselves as being liberal-minded, as being in favor of free markets and so forth, to get international support and, in, in, and support from skeptical people in South Africa so that they can achieve state power. And then there must be a second transition in South Africa, which is to use the, the mechanisms of the state to further the goals of the revolution. Because they've infiltrated the state in the first place. Yes. State capture... Yes, it is, it is state capture. Yeah, it is yeah. exactly that. And, and, and the goal is to centralize as much power in the state as is permissible by the balance of forces. And that's why we have this balance of forces approach so that they can achieve this. So, so they, they sincerely believe or they claim to sincerely believe that the state knows better than, than the people. And that is why it's not good for you to own property. Some, well, the EFF says this openly and some in the ANC as well. It's not good for the people to own property. It's better for the state um, uh, because that's why we must particularly talk about white monopoly capital and not monopoly capital because it's good if there's a monopoly. If it's a state monopoly, it's a good thing. They believe that. And that's all done in the in the achievement or in the pursuit of a, what they refer to as the National Democratic Revolution. Right. And people like you, Every Forum, people who support property rights are are, are the enemies. Of, of, of the revolution. Of the revolution. Yeah. And when you said this in parliament, do you think they were suddenly naked in the public square? Because I, I'm not sure this has ever been said in parliament. Mm-hmm. Uh, exposing, look guys, these are actually what your documents, we know what you're doing. We know the game you're playing. Here's your game. Mm-hmm. This is what you're trying to do and this is why it will fail. That's what your yeah. presentation and did mo- for me. And most importantly, we got the game plan from the ANC website. It's all yes. there. Yeah. I read it. Yeah. Whenever I want to, it's yeah. right there. Yeah. So state what they want to do. But because it was phrased in a, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't, um, what's it, a better life for all because it wasn't phrased as that. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, which if you now start thinking about it in that context is a really dodgy phrase. But, um, because it was phrased in the way you put it, mm. they were suddenly, as I say, naked in, in the, yeah. in the church square. Um, what I, I suppose that makes sense. And you said you thought they would be angry. And I suppose that understanding about exposing them for what their real motives are would make them even more angry. Mm-hmm. And I, perhaps that explains and challenging the premise of the debate. Sure. And perhaps that explains a civil war because truly the revolution took calls for that as well. If you mm-hmm. need to suppress yeah. uh, any uprisings, then you do so and you do so viciously. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's somewhat less surprising. What really surprised me is that the largest opposition party in this country, mm. a party based in classically liberal foundations and roots. Yeah, supposed um, to suppose, Well, it is based in that originally at oh, least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, disagreed and not just disagreed with certain parts of your presentation, didn't disagree with the tone of your presentation. No, no. They disagreed with everything you had to say. Yeah. I, I, and I, I, you know, as I did not D, expect as that. a DA voter, um, although that is seriously in, in question now after being called a racist by one of the MPs this mm. week, um, and um, amongst other things, um, I, I, can you explain that on, at, at all? Cause I mm. can't. Well, I, I think this is something important to, to point out is, I mean, we, we don't want to be a political party and that's been, 
sort of reaffirmed this last week as well. So you spoke about opposition politics. Someone has to eat their hat over that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, so you spoke about, op- about opposition politics, and I think that's important if you're a political party. So I can understand how or why the DA, for example, would make sort of an agreement with the EFF to make sure that Solim Simanga becomes mayor. I can understand that. I wouldn't want to do that. I'm not sure if I would be able to do that if I was a politician. But I can at least understand the strategy. But I think the problem, the opposition politics work works. It works if you have backbone and if you are prepared to stand up for what you believe in and what your principles are. And if you have opposite views, yeah. <laughs> that yes. will be very helpful. Well, I, I think <laughs> – I think – yeah, I think they do have op- <laughs> they don't have similar views, but, but I think the problem with opposition politics, if you don't have a proper backbone, is there's a lot of mingling and you know having dinner together and you know meeting at the parliament bar afterwards and you know having some social events together and there's almost a team spirit that's being created around this committee as well. We MPs from different parties they disagree but they socialize together. They sit next to each other during the the hearings, and I think what happened there was. It's very interesting if you if you look at the the responses to my presentation. At first, it was very casual. Um, the first person, the person who was the most aggressive towards the end, the guy from the Butelezi, not Mangasutu Butelezi, the other one I can't remember his name from the IFP, he started very casually. He said, "Well, I need to have some clarity on this and this." And then the uh, one woman from the ANC spoke, uh, and she was a bit more angry. And then the EFF spoke, and, and you know they opened the floodgates, and sort of suddenly everyone realized they should be angry. Because I think, I, I speculate that they felt that their little safe space has been violated. And also the members of the opposition. And they've got to come to the defense of their friends in the EFF yes. almost. I, well, that's, that's the best conclusion I can but make. But why is Glynis Breitenbach a friend of the EFF? Well, I'm not sure if she's a friend of the EFF, but it's, she, she, she acted like, like one. That. Yeah. She acted like one in that situation. I, I also would say I don't know that she is either. Yeah. But based on her behavior in parliament, a woman who has uh, a lot of respect in this country, mm. um, who is a well sort of, uh, I don't know how you would. And worse, who has a fucking backbone. Well, yeah, well, she, she fought yeah. her, the NPA alone. She did and brilliant won. with it. Yeah. So yeah. she's got a huge well, I was backbone. I going to say, she's a hugely respected prosecutor. Mm. Mm. And now her balls have been snubbed. Sorry, excuse the pun. <laughs> but I mean, like now she's in parliament. She says, she didn't say, and thank you for your presentation. She says, no, I disagree with everything you said. Yeah. And I spoke about how corruption is a problem and how there must be restitution. And what solutions you have, all that, eight of them. Yeah, and she I agrees said that none there of were that. injustices and those injustices have to be corrected. Let's, and then she stands up yeah. and says, I disagree with everything. Sure. So I, I don't – and please, if you're a DA, whatever you are, MP listening, we do have some MPs who listen to this show and or you're in the party at any level and you want to come and clarify the DA's position, by all means come on the show because mm-hmm. after Glynis did that – some of your MPs doubled down on what Glynis had done. Um, and in fact, in one exchange, they were asked, so you agree with nothing Ernst said? They said, no, I agree with nothing he said. Even the part where he said he doesn't agree with expropriation without compensation, they said, no, yeah. even that part. So you need to sort your shit out. Great communications, cause, cause, guys. Because it really, really doesn't reflect well on the party. But let's talk very quickly about that point that you just made around Previous injustices. Mm. So people are going to say, look, it's Afri Forum. Afri Forum cares about white farmers. Uh, at the end of the day, they don't care about anyone else. Um, I know there are case 
plenty of cases for you to disprove that, but mm. we can do that just now. Mm. What about legitimate and do you recognize legitimate instances where land was taken away from people? Yes. What about those? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we can look at, we can talk about many examples. The, the irony was, and I mentioned it in my presentation that while that was happening in sure. parliament, we, we were in court on behalf of Matori Maserumule, mm-hmm. whose land in was invaded. Yes. Mm. Um, whose land was invaded and the police refused to open his case. So we had to go to court on his behalf to get illegal land grabbers off his property. Um, yes, and, and that's important. The, the, I said, and that's something that's debatable, I know, and we can have a discussion about that. I, I made the claim, I said, the notion that, and then in quotes, white stole the land is the biggest historical fallacy of our time. And then I explained it. Now, the criticism to that can be, well, certainly white people did steal the land because there were examples of that. Uh, we can talk about dispossessions, which I then acknowledged immediately after that. I said there were dispossessions, among others, according to the 1913 Land Act and the 1950 Group Areas Act, and those were injustices and they have to be corrected. The reason why, despite that, I still believe it's a fallacy is the same reason, which I also pointed out in my speech, why it would be a fallacy to say, for example, black people are murderers. It's exactly the same logic to say because some people, some black people have committed the crime of murder. That doesn't that doesn't justify a claim. Black people are murderers. And it's the same thing. Some, some white people did really atrocious things in South Africa and the government did atrocious things in South Africa. And we need to acknowledge that. And that's why the whole point was to say that we need to differentiate between restitution and redistribution. Mm. Where restitution is about correcting mistakes that have been made, correcting injustices. But acknowledging those injustices and being factual and having an evidence-based approach, as opposed to saying, well, you are white, therefore you're an illegitimate landowner, so we need to take it from you. And, and the irony is that land restitution has gone really well, the process of land restitution. Yes. has gone really well. But it depends it's on how you measure it. A bit slowly, yes. as far as I understand. Well, the cutoff date was 98. They settled 98% of those. 1.8 yes. million were settled. Mm. There's mm. 4,000 outstanding from that period of time. Mm. 93% of people took cash instead of land. Uh, and now they opened, they try to open it again. I'm not too sure what's happening these days, but land restitution original uh, at the initial stage, uh, went really, really well. And they, when, and when you find out that people don't actually want the fucking land, they, they want them, they well, want money, which makes obviously perfect sense. Like obviously perfect sense. Can, can I tell you something that's really atrocious? Yeah. I went to a summit recently. It wasn't in the media publicized, but. A representative from the Department of Land Reform spoke there, and we had the opportunity to ask him some questions to clarify their view. And that's you, you've pointed it out already that 93% say that they would rather want money than land, and this is a problem, according to the Department of Land Reform. That's why I say it depends on how you measure it. Obviously, it's been a big success because people who file land claims, their claims have been settled, more than 90% of them. Um, but according to the department, this is a problem. But what is worse, I asked him to explain this to me, and he said – that their view is if, let's say, the farm is taken from a white person and given to a black person, then the injustice, is, the injustice was corrected. But then, according to the department, a problem for them is when that black, black person decides to sell his land to a white person because the white people are eager, eager to buy the land from black people. Then the injustice has been, the correction of the injustice has been reversed. That's, that's the view of the Department of Land Reform. And that's the type of, Arguments that we are confronted with and the people that we have to debate with. That sort of makes logical sense in some parallel universe. 
Um, I mean, but 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 it just shows because like the, the injustice is there's not yeah. equality of outcome, right? It's, it's, exactly, it's, exactly. And if you demonize a group of people, so if if white people are bad, no matter what they do, because they were bad in the first place and they continued being bad, so they got wealth through illegitimate means. If mm. if you believe that, and and all white people somehow have money, and any money that white people have is through illegitimate means, and anything they do with that money is illegitimate, and any way they act beyond that is illegitimate, and it's mm. always illegitimate. Doesn't matter what you do. Mm. So you can't you can't win the argument. No, but going back to the original proposition of EWC, in that they don't even trust their own constituents, i.e., black people, with land because they don't want to give them the rights to the mm. land. They don't want them to sell the land. They want them to be farmers with with I don't know government assistance mm. uh, through leases. Yeah, I mean, the other th- thing that- there's been hundreds of cases. Sorry to interrupt. Mm-hmm. There's been hundreds of cases where farmers uh, have tried to assist new and upcoming black farmers, mm. and they assist really well. Except that those black farmers cannot own the land. They ca- they don't have collateral. They can't use security. They can't get uh, capital. Mm. And um, so obviously. The bigger play here is it's not about the fucking land. <laughs> it's Obviously. about the national democratic revolution. There we go. The land is just it's a tentacle of the national democratic it's revolution. It's a proxy. Yeah. And if you take expropriation compensation plus NHI plus mining charter mm. plus more rigid BE regulations mm. plus um Those are all fo- yeah, those are all the tentacles. There we go. Mm. I mean and and that's and that's what you expose in Parliament so brilliantly. Mm. And that's why you get attacked so brilliantly because people who speak the truth in terms of what, – what is that quote you like to say? People who speak the truth in times of lies or something. Oh, I yeah. It's remember. an act of uh, – I can't remember this. Yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing comes offhand. But, yeah, but, but that's what we need to that, – but that's what the conversation should be about. Mm. Um, and we are trying very hard. Uh, IR is trying really hard. You are trying really hard. But – You know what's interesting? Sorry, about, about the reaction to my presentation. They had 20 minutes – to attack me with everything they could. None of them denied anything I said about the National Democratic Revolution. None of them denied what I said about the ANC's goal is to achieve communism or to take South Africa down the road of socialism. As a matter of fact, when I read this, you know, you can see the reaction from the members of parliament. They just sat there listening. And the moment I started going over to there's not a hunger for land and I started quoting the statistics, that's when they really became angry. So me pointing out that they, they are, we know that they are busy with the National Democratic Revolution. For me, it was just saying, for them, it seemed to me like I was just saying something that they agree with. They well, it's know. so obvious. It's yeah. like, of course we are. Like, why yeah, have you been saying point. that in public? Yeah. <laughs> and I suppose uh, what you'd said at the beginning about, uh, in terms of the beginning of dis- describing those public consultations, uh, those colored folk up in the north in Springbok, mm. um, you know, those are people without title deeds. Basically, this, this, in the end, this will make everyone be without title deeds. That's the, that's the ultimate, if they get their way, yes. that's, that's the ultimate result. All right. So, so let's talk about, so now parliament has happened. There's been a lot of reaction to that. Um, discussed a lot of the negative sort of media reporting. And I, 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 I once again want to point out that negative is not a problem. It's just dishonest that that is the problem. Mm. Um, but w- what's next? In your view mm. Well Firstly um, Just an interesting fact So we've been told that What was it called This was a spectacular unraveling of Afri Forum um, 
the feedback. Yeah, Huffington Post uh, headlines have moved on to News 24's <laughs> platform. Yeah. So, so, uh, so, so has the editors. Sorry. Yeah. The, the, the white guy. Only the white ones. Only the white ones, though. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the, the feedback I received from our administration department is that there's been an enormous spike in people signing up at AfriForum as new members. And not only people who we call to sign up, people who contact us on their own accord, especially uh, recruitments through our website. In other words, people who fill in the sign-up form has increased by 63% after, um, in the last week. In the last three days, uh, we had 1,200 1, new sign-ups in South Africa. Um, our, our average is about 3,200 a month. Uh, new members a month. We had in in three days a thousand two hundred new members, and what is particularly interesting is that uh, the feedback is that it's a lot of English speaking people and a lot of people from the Western Cape, uh, which which doesn't support the stereotype of Afri Forum as being these old Boer Afrikaner guys with long beards and farmers and so forth. So so there was an enormous spike, and I uh, we don't ask race in our membership form, so we don't know how many. Uh, white or black members we do have But my experience on social media And the type of phone calls and emails we get Is that we have more black support now Than we have ever had uh, the, We get more messages from black people Who say well listen thank you for what you are doing And thank you for protecting our rights But the accusation is that we are alienating black people And I don't think I think that's, that can only be the result Of some underlying racist stereotype well, I mean, you, you would alienate some black people and not others. The reality is any black person who has uh, worked hard, got where they are right now, mm. owns a piece of property, is looking at this and going, I don't want to lose this. Mm. Why does the government want to take this, this away from me? And, and the reality is, is unfortunately expropriation without compensation is going to hurt everyone. It's mm. not, uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, but- it's not just going to hurt uh, one group. Yeah, um, yeah, in, indeed. But going back to your to your numbers, they, they've been you've, been you've done very well in terms of new signups. That is an important goal for every forum, I suspect, to get new members. Mm-hmm. Is it not a moral hazard being created in a sense that you talk about EWC, you get new members? Mm. And I'm not I'm not accusing you of no. doing this. I'm looking at myself as and Jonathan as well. We we are getting record numbers now. Since we started nailing EWC, mm. is there a moral hazard where we start to become maybe a little bit looser with what we say about EWC yeah. um, to get those higher numbers? Mm. We haven't done that um, at all. I'm not saying you will do that either, but there's a moral hazard. Like we look at incentives, mm. right? Yes. And the more we speak about this topic, the greater numbers we get. So let's focus on this topic all the time. Yeah. That, that's the danger. Yeah. I think that hazard does exist. It exists and, and you get more. I mean, there's stuff that I can say now. I can make up stuff and say to you and it could be on the front page tomorrow, but it wouldn't be a good thing. Um, um, so there is that risk of saying things just to be controversial, to be able to make the headlines. And, but I do think judging at our, looking at our members and the type of response we get that the incentive for us is to be truthful and balanced largely because of the perception regarding Afrikaners in this country and the history of South Africa. So there's a lot of sensitivity among our members not to be seen as Racist, not to be falsely accused of, uh, or not to be accused of racism and that having an element of truth, uh, because people don't want to be, people want to have the moral high ground. And I, if we start 
if we start telling lies or saying stuff that simply isn't true, we would feel the brunt of it. People would start uh, resigning as members because our members are, again, contrary to the stereotype, our members are professional people. It's high LSM people. It's lawyers and teachers and doctors and, and so forth. And those people would would resign if we start if we become a populist movement and and if, if our focus was on rhetoric rather than facts um people people would start resigning yeah because that, that's the danger with populism and J- jonathan and i have spoken like we've had a record number of downloads in the past two months or so like like massive did i say massive like the hugest <laughs> amount of downloads ever huge <laughs> and and we we've spoken to you we've spoken to france crenier about ewc um Gareth von Anselen last mm. week to a lesser degree, but we now in this, we spoke, we're like, in this hazard now, do we keep going on about this? Because there's a lot to talk about mm. in EWC and the NDR. There's like a lot to talk about. And it's an existential crisis. Uh, in, right. In, I mean, you know, if this happens, mm. there is a lot to lose for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so we would think, should we like carry on with it or should we try to diversify our guests a bit to talk about other topics, knowing that they won't be as popular as what we're doing now? It's a, it's a moral hazard. And, uh, I mean, we, we've spoken about it and I've uh, certain fears about being, becoming a bit populist. Yeah. Well, I, I think you guys have become an alternative voice. Uh, it's strange to have to use the word alternative, but, um, and, and people are reala- realizing it more and more that if you read mainstream media, a lot of it, you find that, and then you compare that to what actually happened. Like you, you watch the video clip of something and then you see how it's reported. You see that there's yeah. a massive gap. And then people find that what they what they can, what they find on, a, at a place like Renegade Report is much more factual. It has a lot more depth. There's an understanding of what's happening in South Africa in terms of, for example, the National Democratic Revolution, uh, which some in the media tend to think it's some big conspiracy theory, despite the fact that it's written in the ANC's own documents. I, I also think, look, that word populist is getting thrown around a hell of a lot lately in the last year, year and a half. And I, I don't think people understand what it means. They like using the word to describe things that are popular, which they disagree with. Um, you yeah. know, yeah. and, and that isn't what it is at all. And it's interesting because the things that are being described as populist, in my opinion, certainly aren't populist. And the people describing the, the, those things as populist, in my opinion, are actually the populists yeah. um, by uh, definition. And, and the, the immigration is like a big thing. Most people are don't want like open border immigration. But yeah. if you if if Donald Trump says I'm not for open border immigration, that's a populist position. Uh, yeah. No, it's not at all. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, I, ju- I just it's th- there's a lot of twisting of words and and a lot of um, uh, well, just wordplay being thrown around accusations. Uh, I, this week, I don't know how many times we were called alt-right. Yeah. It, it, that, that's, that sort of slur is getting really old. Um, I don't know how it's still any, if it has any effect. What, what's and, your, and no one still knows what it means. Well, that's the other, the other point. I mean, there's one person who still identifies as alt-right is Richard Spencer, I think, still, still identifies as it and pretty much the 20 people who follow him around America. But, um, anyway, where do you, do you think, Despite the successes for AfriForum um, from presenting and the reaction that mm-hmm. caused those successes, um, do you think we're having any success mm-hmm. in terms of fixing South Africa? Because the reality is, you know, the, before she blocked me on Twitter, I had an interesting discussion with Feriel Hefferji. 
um, which was actually a very reasonable discussion. I'd love to have her on the show because this was mm. quite a nice chat we had, which was we both want what's best for South Africa. We just see different ways to get there. Mm. And which is a fair comment. And then what we need to do is hash it out about the different ways and whether one way is better or another. What do you, what do you think is happening in terms of the better way for South Africa to go? Yeah. I think that's one of the most important questions is, and I think that's underlying, that's the underlying friction that we have with, or the the underlying issue that some commentators and people in the media have with every forum is, we all want South Africa to be a better place, but we might, we, we seem to differ on what the problem is. And I think, I, I think we discussed it a little bit the previous time I was on is that we believe that there are certain fundamental problems with the way the system is put together. Um, but we have this grand narrative in South Africa that South Africa was evil. Everything was evil. And now we were in hell and now we're in heaven, um, post 1994. And we have the best constitution in the world and we have, a political, a, a ruling party who's the party of Nelson Mandela and who's a party of freedom and a saintly party. And they might have made some mistakes. They might have stolen some money along the lines, but inherently it's, they are good. Hmm. And I think there's a fundamental disagreement on that. So I do think we, we can, to a large extent, it goes back to the constitution. And the biggest problem with the constitution is the biggest question about the constitution is how is it interpreted? So I can say to you that I think we have an incredible constitution based on my interpretation of the text. But then um, Ronald Lamola or whoever from the ANC could, would also say we have an incredible constitution, the best in the world, because they interpret it in a completely different way. They read the constitution and they see radical economic transformation has to be executed. Mm. Um, or free housing. Yeah, free housing and stuff like that. Or, or a right to housing, put it that way. Yes. Um, so I think that's the underlying problem is, is I think that I'm, I'm not against the notion of democracy itself, but I think South Africa is more a majoritarianist country than a democracy because democracy is about the test if a democracy is a functioning democracy is whether minority rights are protected and whether the rule of law is being upheld. And, and that's, I think, what was brilliant about Saka Lichas' presentation in Parliament is they made the point that there are certain underlying values that cannot be detached from the notion of constitutionalism. So you can change the constitution, but a constitution still needs to adhere to the values or the principles of constitutionalism to be a legitimate constitution. And the moment when you take property rights away, for example, you can have a voting process to do that. And you can say, well, we've changed the constitution according to the laws that require us to do it. But when you start taking away property rights or freedom of speech and so forth, then you start chipping away at the principles of constitutionalism. And you can say, well, it was democratically done. It wasn't. It was done according to majoritarianism, which is different. And I think that's an underlying uh, disagreement that we have. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people um, conflict um, the, the spirit with the letter. So the yes. spirit of constitutionalism is limited government, um, full rights to citizens, um, voting, that sort of stuff. The the letter of the law is how do you pass a law? But passing a law does not make it legitimate, does mm. not make it constitutional. You can follow you can tick all the boxes. We got public participation, there's a white paper, green paper, there's a bill, and the constitutional court agrees with the legislation once it's enacted. All those processes can still be constitutionally illegitimate. Mm. 
Well, what you just said would have been interpreted by Power FM as a justification of apartheid, <laughs> according to this latest view. But I think that's the point, is is doing something according to a particular process. Although there's a problem with the process, there are a lot of problems. But even if the process is, is valid, that does not mean that it's legitimate necessarily. Absolutely. And again, the, I mean, the, the best example is Nazism. And again, it's not to say that the ANC are a bunch of, na- bunch of Nazis. But it's a perfect example of something that's being done according to at least some form of democracy or some form of majoritarianism. Um, and it's an illegitimate system that, that, that it, the way it turns out to be at the end of the day. It's populism. Yeah. <laughs> and they call you populist. Right. So do you want to take the Patreon questions as a separate podcast and let our uh, – Patreons have the access to that individually. Yeah, absolutely. So let's mm. do that. So we're gonna wrap. Perfect. We're gonna wrap this up uh, for the moment. We will release uh, the Patreon stuff a little bit later on, but we'll give the Patreons first access. Uh, to we finished it. our conversation. Uh, well, you want to carry on? Yeah, with with more. <laughs> in a rush? I, I, have, I have at least one more thing. Um, that's absolutely. not a problem. Let's carry it on in the Patreon side of things. And uh, but let Ernst finish his point, mm. and then we'll we'll continue it on there. Yeah. Now, I, I've, there was a question you asked that I didn't fully answer, and it was about what now, what lies ahead. Yes. Um, so, I've discussed what our strategy is. So we would continue with the strategy. I don't think um, we, I've I've seen today news reports where the ANC claims that the majority of people who participated in the process were in favour of a constitutional amendment, which is false. Um, we do know that the vast majority of the written submissions were against expropriation without compensation. We submitted about half of the written submissions. We know the IRR submitted up to almost 100,000. Um, and so there were three ways in which this process was followed. There was written submissions, um, public hearings, and uh, parliamentary submissions. Public hearings, yes, the majority of people supported expropriation without compensation, although the process was flawed because of even if only for the way the question was framed. But how many people actually spoke at the public hearings? I think they said 2,000 or something, yeah. Um, yeah, so it was around there. In terms of numbers, it's irrelevant. As opposed to hundreds of thousands of written submissions. Yes. Yeah, 800,000 as well, yeah. as I remember. Yeah. And then in Parliament, um, 84%, if I have the number right, of the parliamentary presentations were against the, the change. So the ANC, if, if they push this, then we can, we can use the courts to force them to release the information to say, well, if you really say the majority supported this, we want to see every written submission. Um, so we, we, we are prepared to do that. Um, and we will continue with our campaign in South Africa and abroad. We will organize protest marches if we need to. Uh, we will continue speaking to international role players. We have seen the biggest concessions that uh, the ANC has made in terms of backpedaling on this, on how they frame it at least, has always been in response to a big big pressure that's being put on them from abroad. Like when Peter Dutton made those comments from Australia, Cyril Ramaphosa said, no, 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 we're not going to be that bad when we do this. The same with the Tucker Carlson interview when we went to the US, the same with the tweet from Donald Trump. Now compare that, compare the ANC's reaction to that, which is every time, no, 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 it's not that going to be that bad, to their reaction during these appeasement-type discussions that they have with role players. Um, we've seen that our, our strategy works, and if anything happens, if, if anything, if it 
teaches us anything, it's that we need to up the ante, that we need to have more international campaigns. We need to go back to Washington. We need to go to Europe. We need to go to other countries. We need to lobby with international um, uh, communities, with governments abroad and so forth. And there's a lot that we still can do and that we certainly would do. Awesome. So if you want to continue lis- l- listening to Ernst, um, and want to continue to our, listen to our discussion. I'm sure we'll carry on for another half an hour or so. Mm. We've got a whole bunch of questions from um, some of, a, uh, of our patrons. Um, then please do uh, consider a donation, any donation on Patreon. We really would appreciate it. Um, for, so just for reference, our Patreon, literally a dollar a month. If I've seen the list of numbers, there's dozens of thousands of you. If, <laughs> if, if 5% give for $1, We'll, we'll be able to get video. We'll be able to get editing. We'll be able to get so much. The podcast yeah. will get so much better. Unfortunately, um, our numbers are massive, but have I, have, have you said massive before? Huge, <laughs> huge. Um, but, uh, advertisers are terrified. Um, they are terrified. This is a country where if you say anything untowards, you are destroyed for it or you have people right. jumping up and down. But I think deep down we, we actually do not want to be adver- uh, advertiser friendly. We, don't, we well, don't want the show to be dictated by. No, no, no dictation. And maybe that's why they're staying away. But either way, they are staying away. So um, those of you who dislike us, you'll be happy to know. And so we're just using the AfriForum model of having uh, <laughs> people with skin in the game. No, really, it's legitimate. Mm-hmm. People with skin in the game. Paying us, uh, giving us a little contribution each month, be it 10 rand or be it a thousand rand. No one pays a thousand rand, I wish. Uh, but, um, every month, because they like what we do, they like the message we're trying to get across. They want to continue across, supporting that. They want to continue supporting us and they want to ensure that other people hear what we say because it's very important to them. And so even if you have 10 rand a month, we will gladly accept that. It's our traffic light pitch. As well, as you know, you can always find us on Twitter at Renegade underscore report on Facebook, both the page and the group, Ramon at R- Roman Kabanek, myself at Jonathan underscore wit, Ernst on Twitter. Yes. At, at Ernst Roots. <laughs> there you go. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks so much for listening. Cheers. This is cliffcentral.com.